I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It was a tough time for the country. I was in... Berea, Ohio, had just gotten released by the Jets and picked up off waivers by the Cleveland Browns. And I got up in the morning at a hotel to head into work and turned on the TV and and saw what what was happening. So it doesn't seem like it was 20 years ago. And I'm really proud of uh, Ora Garst and and our team and the video they put out and have gotten a lot of good messages about that. Uh, He's really talented. You know, having DJX on the team and being part of that was pretty special. So it's something that should be remembered and honored and um, our little token the little bit we can do to help honor it is is worth doing it's an important part of our culture important part of our culture and something that we grow up in schools with every year and and something we'll never forget i got the chance to visit new york and visit the twin towers the memorial which is very special for me and it's it's huge and they have i mean just thousands of names across that that structure there and it's uh it's a big part of america i'm thankful we get to represent in some form and uh, hopefully make those proud that serve. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett as looking back on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 as Nebraska will take on Buffalo in Memorial Stadium here Saturday. It's a 2-30 game and it is the 20th anniversary and they'll have special commemorative uh, uniforms that they'll wear uh, to to remember that day. Um, But, you know, Robin, you think about that day here in Nebraska, what it meant. I mean, 9-11, it was a Tuesday, as we know, and there was a. that's when the press conference was on Tuesday. They canceled that, I remember that day, and Nebraska was supposed to play Rice, and the game was going to be Saturday, and like every sporting event, that got canceled. And it just happened to work out that Rice and Nebraska had the same open date. So they were able to play on Thursday of the next week. And, and, you know, just kind of split their bye weeks essentially in half. And, and that was the first sporting event played in terms of a football game played post 9-11. And you just think about that day. And, and I know um, when this game happens on Saturday, they're going to really, really remember that moment. Big Ten Network is doing a, a thing on it as well. And 20 years, it's hard to believe uh, time has flown by that quick. Yeah, it it is unbelievable. And so, uh, and I was a freshman in college when that happened, and that was before I even covered the team. But I went to that game uh, as a student, sat in the student section, and it was one of the more unforgettable settings. I mean, for for sports and otherwise that you're going to see. I mean, just because of, I mean, that was the, the first time everybody kind of got back to together a little bit after one of the um, most difficult weeks in in our nation's history and. Uh, when the the doors of the tunnel walk opened and there's you know the firefighters, police officers, state patrol, uh, you know standing there with the flag. I mean that was like a moment that I think hit everybody and anyone that was in that stadium or even watching it on TV that day. I mean that's something that you're never for, gonna forget. So very cool that they're gonna be able to honor that. Um, you know I think the, the uniforms. Obviously, I, I think they look cool, but also, you know, there's obviously meaning behind that. And uh, I think it should be a, a very fitting tribute to, you know, I still can't believe it's been 20 years since 
since that fateful day. In I don't know. I'm old school in the sense I yeah, alternate uniforms are one thing, but I like when there's meaning to them, and this one has meaning to it. Right. Um, I like when they do a throwback because there's meaning to that. Like Adidas, by the way, for like Nebraska basketball, they get they they might have the best alternates of any Adidas school. I mean, Nebraska always has great different uniforms, mm-hmm. um, and they use throwback uniforms, but. Uh, for football, as we know, it's been very debatable on some of these alternate jerseys over the years and, and kind of how they look and, and whatnot. But this one is really, really cool. Um, Nebraska-Buffalo, 230 game, and it's coming off, Robin, this Fordham game where um, I think, you know, a lot of ways, I, I use the analogy, It's it, that game on Saturday last week, it was like a trip to the driving range. Nebraska just had a bucket of 95 golf balls on offense, and they just swung mm-hmm. and. You're going to take some bad swings, and you're going to take some good swings. The good thing is you're on the driving range. It was good practice for Nebraska. They didn't necessarily play great, um, but they they used that repetition, I think, to get better as the game wore on, where when you're playing a Big Ten game, you can't do that. You, right. don't, you don't get 95 swings where you could have some bad swings on the field. Um, so I, I think Nebraska maximized that. The key is, can they build off that now and take a step forward this week? Yeah, that is really the only tangible thing I think you can take for this. Obviously, uh, you know, big picture, getting so many younger players, uh, their first game experience, you know, 88 different guys got to play in that game, and including several that, uh, you know, got legitimate snaps on offense and defense, not just special teams work. I mean, there, there was value there. So, you know, if nothing else, you know, some, some guys got better just with that game experience. But uh, as far as this season goes, yeah, I mean, you got to find a way to keep it going. Um, the, the first quarter and a half of that Fordham game was a disappointment, especially on offense with their inability to establish the run early. You know, they just kind of looked, you know, disjointed again against a far inferior opponent than what they saw the week before. And so that's got to get better. They have to come out of the gates and actually play well uh, on offense. You know, that offensive line has to be able to dictate, uh, you know, how things are done in the trenches right from the start. Because when you start playing, you know, the the Oklahomas, let alone the Buffaloes of the world, uh, you're not going to have that margin for error to where you can kind of work your way into a groove halfway through the game and everything's going to be fine because Illinois showed them clearly uh, that they're just not good enough to be able to kind of putz around the way that they have been. And I get that Fordham came out and stuff that you hadn't seen before because it was an opener for them and they didn't have a traditional fall season, but that's every game. I mean, I think now the book's out in Nebraska. Come out with something different yeah, on them. Yeah, just do something different. They're not going to know how to respond, and then you're going to dominate for at least a half. So Nebraska's got to get better at adjusting on the fly. And this game on paper, you know, Nebraska's about a two-touchdown favorite for Saturday against Buffalo. And, you know, it's a they, they really caught a break with this matchup. But, you know, if it was what it was intended to be back yeah. in, like, February, March, it'd be a little bit different. I mean, Buffalo had Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold had been interviewed for the Illinois job, the Vanderbilt job, and did not get either job. He was a runner-up. Um, and so he was just going to sit it out one more year at Buffalo, and then the job at Kansas came calling his way. So it worked out, and then they had 16 players going the transfer portal. So there's a lot to this game that's in Nebraska's favor. The current Buffalo coaching staff was not there in the spring. Um, so they didn't have any time with this team. Now, granted, they went out and beat Wagner 69-7, um, so they did what they were supposed to do in that game, Robin. But um, I think Nebraska's got a real break here. And even with that, this is going to be 
as good as any team as Nebraska's played. I mean, you could argue that this team is just as good as, as Illinois right now. Yeah, you could make the case. And, yeah, I mean, the fact that this offseason was kind of as tumultuous as it was for Buffalo certainly plays in Nebraska's favor. Where, you know, they, this this new coaching staff with Maurice Linguist, um, you know, he was the former Cowboys uh, defensive back coach and I think spent like a couple weeks uh, at Michigan as their co-defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, he, he basically had to hit the ground running from the jump where, you know, he didn't get a spring at all. I think uh, Leipold and, and that staff left just a few days after Buffalo spring game. So, you know, they're trying to incorporate an entire new coaching staff, you know, a new offense, new defense and everything. So just listening to some of the coaches this week, it sounds like what Buffalo is going to try to do is just keep things as simple as possible to where they're not going to get overly creative and they're going to rely on the things that they do best. And even with losing, uh, you know, some, I think a couple different uh, offensive linemen to the NFL, uh, you know, their top running back uh, from a year ago, uh, you know, they, they still are really good on the defensive line. They're disciplined on the back end of the defense and they can still run the football. You know, I think they have two starters back on the offensive line, but also several other guys that have played, uh, you know, significant snaps in games. So they're going to be a veteran group up front and they still have a highly touted uh, running game, you know, with a couple good running backs to work with. So that is what the challenge is going to be for Nebraska. Can they win in the trenches offensively? Can you beat a, uh, you know, good Buffalo defensive line um, up front and establish the run game? And can you protect and give Adrian time to be able to throw some of those further passes downfield? And the flip side to it, can you stop the run, keep them off schedule, uh, and be able to put them in third and long situations? Because if you let them stay on track, they're going to wear you down. All right, well, we're going to get more into this matchup next. We'll talk offensive storylines and some standouts as well from this past week. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We definitely needed this one, and, and we knew we were going to come out and play like this. You know, just like I said, you know, after the Illinois game, like, we're going to respond. That's just the type of team we are. We're not going to let, you know, a first game loss hang over our heads for too long, you know. And we came out here, we did what we are supposed to do, and, you know, we just got to let this carry over to the next game. Yeah, it's a long season. Uh, we saw a lot of things in camp that didn't show up last Saturday. Uh, some of them showed up this Saturday. Uh, some of the guys that we've been seeing playing well and some of the good things we've seen happening. So uh, we need more of it, but he's a pretty special kid. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett as this segment of the Husker Online Show. Brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. Get on into Tanner's. It is your spot to watch the Husker game, go after the game. It was a great spot to go. I know um, Bryce stopped in, Bryce McGowan's from uh, off court, and JoJo Doman from the beat. Uh, they both stopped in Tanner's on Saturday and, and, and grabbed some food, watched some games. Um, so get on in there and catch all the college football and the NFL action here this weekend at Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill Road. Well, Robin, you heard Scott Frost talking about Samari Torre and Torre himself. Um, and, and that was kind of the breakout game we were expecting to see. And, you know, he was really neutralized against Illinois, just the way that game 
got out of, out of hand. But you take Oliver Martin out of the equation this week, all of a sudden he really was truly the, the, the main option, and, and he backed it up. Yeah, I mean, there's all this talk about how he'd emerge as the number one. That, that showed in force in that game, and he came up with – some of the biggest plays when Nebraska's offense was really struggling early. Uh, you know, where not much was working, particularly in the run game, and Nebraska had to throw the ball. More often than not, Adrian was looking for Samari Touré. And uh, you look at his stats, I mean, I think like five or six of his catch- catches or whatever went for first downs, and several of those were on third down, and one was on fourth down. So, I mean, like literally when, when Adrian needed a play, he was going to Touré. And so I think that really kind of exemplified – just how quickly those two have developed a chemistry over the course of this offseason. Now that they actually have uh, you know, a couple games playing together under their belt, I think that's really going to uh, evolve even faster going forward. And, and they need it to. Nebraska needs a go-to playmaker that when it comes down to you know, d- defining a drive, Adrian knows where he's going. And if Samari can be that guy, uh, that is a huge luxury to have, especially with some of the other we- weapons around him. But I think the other part of that, too, was a lot of those big routes that Samari was able to capitalize on, Nebraska actually had protection. And Adrian was able to sit in the pocket, let those routes develop, and it's no coincidence that the downfield passing game started to work a lot better. And, you know, something, too, they brought to this offense with Torre is they're using him as a running back type mm-hmm. guy. And, and this option, triple option play, and I think everyone kind of holds their breath collectively when they see that that. It's like a 30-yard pitch, yes. it looks like. Well, the front. one against Illinois, Adrian, like, they literally threw it like 15 yards on a pitch. Uh, <laughs> You know, when you're playing like Wisconsin, I'm just waiting for Jack Sanborn to intercept one of those pitches. But, you know, it, it's a high-risk play, but they've executed it well, and it's a new wrinkle that they've added to this offense. Um, and it'll be interesting what they build around this wrinkle of this option play that's almost become a base play within the offense. Well, and, you know, it was funny. Matt Lubick talked about that on Tuesday, you know, about just kind of where that, that originated. And if there's something they, they added new to the offense this year, he said, no, they've always had that in their offense. It was – one of their their key schemes back at Oregon. And I think now they actually have the personnel to run that. They have a, a you know four-year starter quarterback who's basically what this play comes down to is making reads uh, before the play. And when it comes when you make the reads, it's a pretty simple scheme uh, according to Lubick to where you know if the linebackers or D-line are doing one thing, then you just run the ball and it just becomes a, a, a typical just his own run uh, with you know a little bit of window dressing around that. But when you have you know your your veteran quarterback and then an experienced guy like Toure to be able to kind of extend that into the, the triple option, um, you know the part of it that gives you a, a little bit of a luxury where you know you can run a what is simple for your guys to run, but keeps defenses basically having to guess and you can kind of work around uh, whatever looks they give you on any given snap so I, I hope that that becomes a further part of the offense I know uh, you know Samari Torrey didn't necessarily have much experience as a runner uh, going into this but you know he's looked good um, in the chance that he's got and it's an opportunity to give your skill guys the football on the perimeter and you know that's been easier said than done over the last few years and it looks like they found a wrinkle to do that a little bit easier. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk offensive storylines for Nebraska. And, Robin, this offensive line, they took a step forward, but was it enough? And I think we're going to learn that this week because they are going to see better players up front. They haven't really moved the pile. I think that's that's the concern. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't they moving the pile? Is that scheme? Because I, I don't think it's lack of physical ability. I mean, Nebraska's guys are big and strong. Like, they're, they're, they're strong. I mean, you can't say they're not. So why aren't we seeing 
that movement in the line of scrimmage, you know, and, and, and will we start to see that going forward? I mean, they eventually did it against Fordham, but I think the, the concern was it took a quarter and a half to actually get some push. And I don't know what that was. Uh, you know, maybe it was a change in scheme where they decided to attack the running game differently. And all of a sudden you guys were getting hats on hats and being able to, to take advantage of that, you know, that size and strength that they have. So uh, clearly it was an issue against Illinois. It was an issue for almost half the game against Fordham. And until that part of this offense gets figured out, until they can consistently get a push up front, uh, especially to start games, Nebraska's offense is going to be behind the eight ball to where you're relying once again so much on Adrian Martinez to do everything. And when you get one dimensional like that, uh, that's where defenses really uh, you know, have it easy, pin their ears back and can really be disruptive. So that's the biggest critical piece to fixing Nebraska's offense is getting more consistent play from that offensive line. If they can get a push and find a way to get those running backs going earlier in the game, then there's their opportunity for success in every other facet is going to increase dramatically. We're talking offensive storylines here for Nebraska. No Oliver Martin this past week. Um, no Brock Bando. He was out as well. So a couple guys to kind of keep your eyes on in this game, if they'll be available or not. It's hard to say on Oliver if, he's, if he is going to be. I mean, I think it will literally be a game-time decision and what they want to do. But I think the positive was that it just meant more opportunity for Omar Manning. Mm -hmm. And Omar Manning was targeted twice, had or, or three times, I think, and he had three catches. He's been targeted five times on the year, and he has five catches. So Omar gets better with every time he plays the game, and they're going to need him. I mean, Omar Manning, as we know, is a very talented guy, and he's somebody – and you know, Travis Vokalek hopefully will be back here sooner rather than later too. Yeah, I mean – Omar showing the, what he can be in this offense if he's ever able to put himself consistently in the mix. And, you know, he's targeted three times. He caught all three of those passes, you know, 54 yards, including a 32-yard strike, which was Nebraska's longest play of that game against Fordham. So, I mean, he is that type of player that can change the dynamic of the entire offense with his big play ability. And so you're starting to see him kind of work his way into the equation a little bit more. Uh, and hopefully that continues because he he makes Nebraska's passing game different when he's on the field. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about all those other receivers. None of them have the physical intangibles as Omar Manning. And if you more you can get him on the field and give him opportunities to just go make plays, the better your offense is going to be. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. When we come back, we're going to shift our discussion over now to the defensive storylines for the Huskers as um, they should have a different kind of test this week going against Buffalo, a team that wants to run downhill, wants to run straight at the Huskers. Um, so this will be uh, a good litmus test to measure where Nebraska's at before they go to Oklahoma and obviously back into the Big Ten schedule against the Michigan State team, by the way, that handled Northwestern in their opening game um, in week one here. So lots of intriguing games that happened across the conference in week one, but Michigan State's blowout win over Northwestern, I think, got a lot of people's attention. Well, when we come back, we'll talk defense. Next, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Buffalo's a really good team. Uh, we're going to need to be ready to go. They have good backs. 
their discipline. So, but it's about us every week. So we gotta continue to know our issues and see if we can pick up some tendencies from them. Yeah, obviously started really fast against Illinois. Um, that was a that was a positive, um, and then came out came out soft in the beginning of the second half. Um, so I thought we fixed that. Just our we really emphasized that you know coming out strong second half. But then we, we started slow. Then we started slow the the beginning of the game as far as defensively. So um, you know kind of putting it together. You know starting fast and then obviously having a good em- emphasis on the start of the second half as well. All right, back here on the Husker Online Show, talking defensive storylines now for Nebraska against Buffalo. And uh, good news about last week, Robin, is I think the defense you know, kind of did what we thought they would do all year. And, and this is a veteran group led by some six-year senior guys, JoJo Doman, Deontay Williams, Markel DeSmuke. All three of those six-year seniors came up with big plays for Nebraska in that win. Uh, JoJo had his first career interception. You had Deontay Williams, who was graded out as the highest-ranked safety on pro football focus for the country with two interceptions. And then you had Markel DeSmuke blocking a field goal on special teams and it's hard to argue without those plays, Robin. This game is a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. And your 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 biggest leaders, your most veteran players, came up with some of the biggest plays. And in in a point in the game where things were getting a little uncomfortable, uh, Nebraska needed a spark. They needed somebody to step up and change the course of the game. And uh, one by one, those guys answered the call. So I mean, that's that's what made uh, people feel so good about this defense. But we're having those types of players back that are more seasoned. Um, you know, and, and just built for, for those types of moments as, as anybody on the roster. And they, they stepped up and, and made some of the biggest plays when they absolutely needed them the most. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk defensive storylines. And, you know, one of the things that jumped out about this game, the way Fordham played in Nebraska, the defensive line didn't really get an opportunity to be disruptive. Um, but I still think it was a productive game in a lot of respects. We did get to see some new faces play a lot more. Jordan Riley got his most snaps by far as a Husker. Um, I thought they did a really good job, Robin, of just playing a lot of different guys on that defensive front last week. Yeah, and that's one of the luxuries is you know being able to finally get into the, to the depth a little bit and give guys that you've felt good about in practice the opportunity to you know get that experience even if it is an op- part of the game where uh, you know the score is well in hand and you know this is kind of mop-up duty it's still game experience you're still out there in front of a crowd against a live opponent wearing the game uniform and just that experience is so valuable for the progressive development of any player and so they Nebraska I think you wrote about this a lot last week just the lack of opportunity to do that and give those types of players game snaps uh, has been so limited over the last three or four years uh, to finally get a chance to do that was so valuable and and just I I think not only getting guys on the field but seeing them produce and, and make some plays I mean at all three levels really. Yeah, looking at the defensive line, you saw some guys get on the field that we've really never seen before. I mean, Nash Hupmacher played, Tate Wildeman played, Marquise Black, Chris Walker, Raquan Buckley, even Jalen Weaver got on for a snap. So that is exactly what a game like this should be like. And then you look at those linebackers, Jamari Butler got some good playing time, Garrett Snodgrass, um, Va Clements got nine quality snaps of action, Blaze Gunnerson played five, Javin Wright. Jackson Hanna. I mean, these are all guys, Robin, that we've written about and talked about have never played at Nebraska. So that is what these games are built for, to get players like that on the field. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, just giving those guys the opportunity to, to show what they can do in that environment, in that setting. Uh, you know, there's some 
some things to, to like about that. You know, you mentioned Ativa Malga Clemens. Uh, he looked really explosive. I mean, it, again, you got to take the, the point in the game and the competition for what it is, but uh, just how quickly he got to the football. I mean, he's a, a, a smaller linebacker compared to some of the other guys, but that burst and nose for the football, I, I mean, that immediately jumped out. I mean, he, he made some plays where people kind of did a double take, like, whoa, who, who's 22 out there? I know I did. And so that's the type of, type of moments that, you know, you can really find bright spots to take away in, in a point in the game where, like I said, things were pretty much already in hand. Yeah, and, and you just can't get that in practice sometimes as a coach because you're limited in, in the contact and what you do in practice. So a game is so valuable. And unfortunately, Nebraska just hasn't had a lot of games like that. And, you know, they, in, in some respects, they've got another one like that this week. Buffalo is a good team. Um, but you know, if Nebraska takes care of their business, they should be able to get a lot of back. I mean, not a, not as many as last week, but maybe some of these guys will see see some action two weeks in a row, and that's just going to go such a long way um, in the development. I, I mean, I look at the secondary for next year, and when you lose potentially almost everybody, you know, you've got to get some of these guys ready to go for the future in that secondary particularly. Yeah, and again, you want to look at just the, the issues with development over the years. I, I would point to that as a big part of it where – you're kind of just hoping guys get better almost solely in practice. And there's only so much you can do as a coach and as a player to make yourself ready to be a game-changing part on the field on game day. So, yeah, I mean, there there can't be enough said about just the opportunity to get those guys on the field. And hopefully, you know, being a two-touchdown favorite, Nebraska is able to get in another situation where even if it's not 88 guys, they're still able to get into their uh, depth chart a little bit and and give some guys some more opportunities. Well, we got to see one week of the Big Ten as well. And, you know, some things that jumped out to me, Robin, last week, Obviously, Iowa's win over Indiana, to me, was very impressive. Um, I thought the way Ohio State dug in at Minnesota, but then the bigger story now is Muhammad Ibrahim is out for the year uh, with a leg injury that is going to require surgery. So um, one of the best players in the Big Ten West now out for the season. Um, Michigan looks better um, from what everyone is saying, and we know they come to Memorial Stadium for just the second time ever um, since the Big Ten uh, this year. So that that will be interesting. I, I hit on him. Michigan State's impressive win against Northwestern. And then how about Purdue getting a win over um, Oregon State? By the way, Josh Banderas is a uh, intern coach on that Oregon State staff now. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Michigan State, too. I, thought I, they, mean, yeah, I mentioned Michigan yeah, State yeah. over Northwestern. Yeah, so I, I thought that was right up there uh, with one of the more impressive performances because, I mean, obviously Northwestern is usually pretty consistent, but Michigan State, there were a lot of unknowns about what they would be. A yeah. lot of transfers there. Yeah, and when you look ahead as far as Nebraska is concerned, there, you can make the case that that game in East Lansing on September 25th is going to be when Nebraska's season really kind of begins again. I mean, assuming they, they do what they're supposed to do this week against Buffalo and you, know, you keep things at least manageable against Oklahoma, that Michigan State game is when things kind of get for real again. And you really open a five-game window in the schedule where you can save your season. But Michigan State clearly is showing that they are uh, vastly improved from where they've been over the last couple of years. Well, and what's Minnesota going to look like without Ibrahim? Because yeah. what they want to do is grind it out. And Tanner Morgan's not a great thrower. He's a, but he was missing his best receiver. Yeah, that Ottman Bell. So, you, you know, that they looked good, though. I mean, there's no – and that game is in Minneapolis and it feels like every time we've been there it's been a night game recently. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it will be a night game when we're up there this year, but that game will be tough, as we know, 
because P.J. Fleck's team knows who they are. And I think that's the frustration Nebraska fans have. Absolutely. That Nebraska just doesn't know who they are. I was going to – that was just what I was going to say is (laughs) – I'm not a PJ Fleck fan. I think his whole delivery and the the rule the boat. He's toned stick, it down though. Like it was so yeah, and he did not at first. And I think that probably <laughs> soured my impression on him. And I was just like, there's no way this is gonna work. This guy's kind of a clown. Like he, he seems like I'm listening to a used car salesman up here. But what he's done at Minnesota is been fantastic. I mean, they've established an identity that I didn't expect them to just be this physical brand of like powerhouse run the ball football but that's what they've become and they've got a veteran quarterback who isn't going to light you up but he's also not going to make critical mistakes uh they've got good skill position or stout talent to the skill positions and uh you know when they have an identity and you know that's what nebraska fans have just been craving just to have a an idea of what this offense is what they want to be and the types of players they need to get to be successful minnesota's done that significantly better than nebraska all right when we come back we are going to bring in abby barmore we'll take your questions in the mailbag next you're listening to the husker online show you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I'm willing to take as many carries as they give me. Um, you know, I kind of, I embrace it. Um, yeah, it was like like I said earlier, it was the first time I had gotten those carries in a while. So being able to fill uh, that load uh, was good. Uh, it's, it kind of got my feet like get my feet wet again uh, in a sense. Uh, just being able to them trust me with the ball. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, now Abby Barmore. As you heard. From Marquis Step, as he had 18 carries. It was the most carries he had taken in a game since high school, over 100 yards. The question is, will he go in this week as the starting running back? And we've got lots of questions here as Abby Barmore joins us in the mailbag. Abby, what do you have to start us out with this week? What a great intro for my question. So what do you think the depth chart would look like for the running backs after the first two games? Who are your top three and who's your number one guy? Um... I mean, I think the top three. Pro- I mean, if you're if you're saying where really what it is, I still think it's probably Marky Step now one, Gabe Irvin two, Sevion three, but I really would like to see more Jock Hesjant. Um, I I just think he's got something there that could help Nebraska. Um, but I think those are the three main guys still right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, Step's the guy. I think he's clearly shown. Uh, in the limited opportunities, uh, or at least against Illinois, uh, he was their most productive running back. Uh, and then, obviously, he he took the game over with you know the most carries he's had since a senior in high school against Fordham. And then Gabe Irvin, you know, I still think there's potentials there, but you know at some point he's got to start producing a little bit. So I'll still put him at two, but not a very long leash there. And then and then Morrison three. But I agree. I think getting Yant involved in some capacity whether you put him in as a fullback or something just to add that element of physicality to the running game I think would behoove Nebraska's running game on a neutral field how many points better is Buffalo than Nebraska or are they better than Nebraska on a neutral field um I mean that's kind of a loaded dumb question in my opinion I mean (laughs) like Nebraska's 14 points better right now than Buffalo and Lincoln on a neutral field it's probably 10 I mean 
Yeah. I mean, Buffalo's going through so much right now with this coaching transition. So they're, they're that's just I'm a pissed off fan. Yeah, they're a quality team, but it's not like this is Lance Leipold bringing no. in you know a, a potential like uh, power five killer or anything like that. I mean, they're a good team. You have to play disciplined football, but they they don't have anything like what they're not anything they're they're not the same team that people have become accustomed to uh when they went on that run so no mm-hmm. they're not better than nebraska but if nebraska doesn't play up to its standards then it definitely like, closes the gap a i bit. mean yeah they have the potential robin to pull off a troy type upset it would not surprise no. me if nebraska lost the game but i would still say nebraska is the better team all right next question if you swapped fordham and illinois on nebraska's schedule do you think that they'd be two and oh Honestly, I do. I really do. I, I just think having that game where you could just work out your kinks is so big um, because it allows you to experiment and do things where in a conference game, you can't do that. I mean, it, every step, every snap matters, unless you're Ohio State or you know, an elite team. But even then, I mean, Minnesota almost beat. I mean, opening with a league game is extremely difficult. I mean, look at LSU playing mm-hmm. um, at UCLA for their opener. And UCLA had a manageable Hawaii game to open before they played LSU. And just think what that did for them. Um, so I do think there is an advantage if you could play so sort of a tune-up game before a game like Illinois. Well, especially when you think about Nebraska had to go on the road. And so they played 88 guys versus Fordham, and they can only bring 74 to Illinois. So that in itself condenses just the options you have. And for a team that was already kind of trying to figure out some unknowns with their personnel, you know, that I think put them uh, behind the eight ball even before that game kicked off. Skipping ahead to Oklahoma, what is a realistic win for this team without actually getting the W? Is there one? I mean, first of all, I think Tulane, what they did should get anyone's attention. They had the ball with a chance to beat Oklahoma in the fourth quarter. Um, that, that should get your attention if you're Nebraska because you can't say Tulane – is better than Nebraska. I mean, they're, they're, I don't think Tulane was expected at all to play. So, you know, the question is, where is OU at right now? And mm-hmm. I think for Nebraska, if they can go in and execute and do what they want to do and, and, and play and control the line of scrimmage, I think it has a chance to be an entertaining slash interesting game. I'm not yeah. saying Nebraska's going to win. Yeah, so you also got to wonder, you know, what Oklahoma's response is going to be. Uh, you know, a lot of times teams need a little kick in the pants a little bit to get going, and so maybe that was it for them. Uh, they still have arguably the best quarterback in the country in Spencer Rattler, and their offense is dynamic, and Nebraska's going to have to be close to flawless to keep that thing competitive. But, you know, if they can get some momentum going, you know, get a, get a good win against Buffalo and feel good uh, coming out of it, then, you know, who knows? Maybe you got a little bit of swagger that'll, that'll take you a little further. All right, what's next, Abby? If, ne- if Nebraska had Alabama's offensive line, do you think that its fan base would perceive the skill players differently? <laughs> <laughs> kind of out there, but kind of fun. It, Alabama's skill players are still the best skill players. That's the thing. I mean, even when you watched Old Miss last night on or Monday night, I mean, just watching their guys, execution and skill matters. And Nebraska has not been able to execute very well. And they have good skill, but, I mean, they haven't had game-breaking skill, like a guy that – Amir Abdullah-type guy that could – you know, break a game open on his own. Yeah, I mean, Alabama's also produced how many starters in the NFL right now at, like, every single skill position. So, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is a big part in that, but they also have a lot of uh, Clydesdales and and thoroughbreds to work with back there. What's next, Abby? Should Frost stop 
um, calling the plays and let Matt Lubick do it. Yeah, you know, that whole thing has kind of been hard to get a read on because mm-hmm. we, we do think last year there were some games where Lubick called, like the Purdue game and maybe even the Rutgers game. Um, <laughs> there were people that speculated that Lubick was calling the game in the second half on Saturday against Fordham. But I, I think Scott Frost has been adamant that he's the play caller. That's what he did at Central Florida and won the Peach Bowl. They went undefeated. That was his deal. And you know, Lubick is kind of his eyes in the sky that really works with him during the game. Um, but I think there's compelling arguments on both ends of it. Yeah, I mean, they got to do something. So whether Scott's going to stick with the play calling, I mean, he's got to do a better job of it. They need to find a better flow and identity on offense. And if you're going to turn it over to Lubick, then just get it out there and say, this is Matt's going to take over the primary play calling. I'm still the head coach. I'm still going to have final say on all the most important decisions that are going to be made over the course of the game. But when it comes to managing the the play-to-play you know, calls, I'm, I'm going to let Mac, Matt take on a bigger load. So, I mean, one way or the other, it's got to improve because right now what they're doing on offense is not good enough. All right, what do you have, Nabby? What Husker – so the Husker defense only had one sack in one quarterback hurry against Fordham. Is that worrisome against an FCS team? I think when you look at that number, Fordham – did a good job of just getting rid of the ball. Like their, their quarterback didn't hold the ball very long and they ran a lot of quick game and three-step drops. So when you run quick game, meaning the minute the quarterback gets the ball, they throw it, or three-step drops, you're, you're not going to get to quarterbacks. Sacks happen when the quarterbacks hold the ball too long. And Fordham was not going to allow their quarterback to hold the ball very long this game. Yeah, and you know pressure on the quarterback is reflected in more things than just uh, you know, sacks and, and tackles for a loss. Nebraska was was doing a good job getting into uh, the the backfield. You know, they had multiple pressures. They had, they had two defensive linemen with three pressures each. Uh, you know, with Ben Stilley and Ty Robinson, according to, to Pro Football Focus, and then DeAndre Thomas and Caleb Tanner both had two apiece. So I mean, they were getting into the backfield and pressuring the quarterback, making him rush throws. You know, hurrying him out of the pocket, even if they weren't necessarily getting home and recording sacks. All right, final question, Abby. What is your favorite alternate uniform of all time? Favorite alternate uniform. Um, now, this is Nebraska football. We're specifying it, right? Football, yeah. Okay. yeah. I would say my favorite one was probably the throwback one that they wore. I want to say, was it against Miami? And it was like the 95 or like the, mm. they wore like a yeah a throwback one. And they then they even made like the custom shoes. With yeah. the palm trees on the side to commemorate the Orange Bowl. Yeah, those were good. I forgot about those. Those custom shoes were pretty legit. Yeah. That was in the Mike Riley era, if I remember right. But I think they wore like a commemorative 94 or 95. The first year Nebraska was Adidas was the 95 season. Apex went broke in the middle of the year. like game. <laughs> so Nebraska switched to Apex in 94 for the bowl game. And then to start 95, Apex went broke. And so, like, three or four games into 95, Nebraska switched from Apex to Adidas. And that was the first season Nebraska went to Adidas. They were the first Adidas school. So that jersey, I think, was what they wore in, like, one of the Orange Bowls um, in their first game as an Adidas school, or their first year as an Adidas school. Yeah. All right. So that was a good pick. I'm going to go a little more, not more recent, but I'll go with the all-whites they wore in 2016 against Northwestern with the the chrome face mask and the the chrome decal. I, I don't know. I thought those were, as the kids say, icy. And, you know, I, they won in those ones. They actually too. won in those alternates. So that scores them some extra points to begin with. I think when they wear, like, black shirt ones, they, like, are 
They're like O for whatever. Yes, yes. Anytime black is incorporated in the uniform, it's a disaster. (laughs) All right, that wraps it up for the mailbag. We'll close the show as Rachel Lindsay from the Buffalo News will join me to talk about the Bulls. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here. Final segment of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here as getting you ready for Nebraska-Buffalo on Saturday. It's a 2.30 game in Memorial Stadium. And as we've done the last few weeks, we've brought in an expert that covers the opponent for Nebraska and uh, pleased to bring on Rachel Lindsay from the Buffalo News, who will be making a return trip to Lincoln. You were here for the Michigan game uh, when you covered the Wolverines back in 2012, but uh, glad to see that you'll be making the trek out here to Lincoln. And thanks for taking some time with us, Rachel. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to bring me on the show to talk uh, UB football as well. And I am looking forward to going back to Lincoln for the first time in, in nine years. It's the first year I covered Michigan for the Toledo Blade. That was one of my first Big Ten road trips. And I had a had a really good time out in Lincoln. And I'm looking forward to being back there again to cover UB. Well, let's get into this matchup. Obviously, Buffalo has had a really, really busy offseason with Lance Leipold going right down the road here from Lincoln to Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm took his whole coaching staff he took six players a number of other buffalo players left the portal how has buffalo kind of come out of all of that and how has the transition been um having to make a coaching change after spring football one of the first concerns that buffalo faced as a program was you know there was a week between lance leifold's departure and the hire of maurice linguist and the first question buffalo faced was how is this program or who is going to sustain the success that Lance Leipold built in those, you know, six seasons at UB. You know, he took them from being a team that was it kind of had gone down to being a doormat in the in, in the in the Mid American Conference to being a championship contender. They played in three consecutive bowl games. They played in two MAC te- you know, championship games in the last three years. And there was the question of who's going to sustain sustain that success. It's not just the coach. It's, it's you brought up the players you keep as well. And I think. You know, only losing six players to Kansas, you know, seven in, in, in Jacob Gall, who went to Baylor, it's pretty good. You know, granted, the, the offensive line has to be rebuilt, but a lot of the major pieces personnel-wise were kept in place, like quarterback Kyle Van Trees, who's a fifth-year senior, linebacker James Patterson, who's in his fourth year, running back Kevin Marks, who entered the transfer portal in January and then decided to return to UB. They've got the bulk of their secondary back as well. They've got the bulk of their defensive line, including defensive end Taylor Riggins, who returned after missing last season for an injury. So the pieces were there. It was a matter of bringing in someone with a good vision, someone who was young, someone who could relate to players, someone who was high-energy, who had seen a lot in college football. And if you look at Maurice Linguist's resume, you know, 15 years as an assistant coach or as a coordinator at the college and NFL level, he's a younger guy. He's 37, 38 years old. He coached with the Dallas Cowboys last year. He's got that relatability aspect to the players. He's only the He's a high-motor, high-energy guy who believes in building relationships as a foundation for building success in a program. And, you know, I go out to practices now, and 
you know, the guys are very high energy. There is very much a positive vibe about it. But, you know, also there can be that when there's a lot of optimism. You don't know a lot about your team and how it's going to compete this year. I mean, they, they beat Wagner 69-7 to in their season opener last week. But I don't know if that's going to be a true indication of the team playing an FCS program that hasn't won a game since 2019. I definitely think going out to Nebraska – playing a Big Ten team, I think that's going to show us a lot more about Buffalo and where they are on that measuring stick you know, as far as the season goes and preparing for the max schedule. We're talking with Rachel Lindsay here of the Buffalo News. You know, when you look at just what Buffalo did in the offseason, did they have to they change a lot? I mean, like when you make a coaching change the way they did, I mean, did they keep a lot of the play concepts on offense and defense the same, or did they make some drastic changes because a new staff came in? You know, I, I was talking about this with a couple of the players earlier, and they said, yeah, you know, we got a new playbook. The concepts are the same, but we had four and a half months, you know, if that four months, to learn it, given that Maureen Sling was, was hired May 7th. You know, I think it was one of the smallest windows of a hire. It was Maurice and the new Ohio coach who took over for Frank Solich was early July as well. So it was a very small window to apply themselves and to learn. And another thing, if you look at the offense specifically at UB, they lost one of the top running backs in the MAC and probably one of the better running backs in the country with Jarrett Patterson, who's now with the Washington football team. And they're going to have to rely on a little bit more of a pass-run balance on offense because they don't have guys like Jared Patterson who can consistently run for 175, 200 yards a game. Uh, they've got to count on the receivers who are new, who some of them are younger, some of them are more experienced, and they really got to flex that muscle a little bit against a bit of a downtrodden secondary last week against Wagner. You know, they need a game like that just to build their confidence and see where they can go from. So we're going to see definitely a different offense, probably a more balanced offense as well. I don't think there are a lot of concerns with the defense right now, which returns, you know, I would say, the bulk of their starters or the, a lot of guys with experience, guys especially on the defensive line who didn't start but really exercised depth. The guy who like a true sophomore named George Wallow who came out of nowhere in the final four games of the regular season as a starter, and he was playing like a junior. Taylor Riggins coming back. He had, I think, three, two, two and a half or three sacks against Wagner. And it looked like he didn't miss a beat even after missing seven games last season. And what they've got to do also in that position is really build their endurance as well. You know, it's not just for a 60-minute game. It's for a 12, 13, maybe 14-game season also. So there are definitely going to be differences, but the foundation is there. What do you see just in this matchup with Nebraska? I mean, what have you heard from the Buffalo end about this game what it means and maybe just some thoughts on nebraska and how they match up overall on saturday and buffalo they're 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 putting on a good front they're trying not to be intimidated by nebraska you know the, the big 10 program that's traditionally a perennial power they're not trying to look past nebraska either you know given i, I watched the 30-22 game against illinois i know not a lot of people out in nebraska may want to talk about that but i noticed that Adrian Martinez has a great arm. He picks his spots, but there were a lot of mistakes in that game on, on special teams. Yeah, I think there were a couple fumble fumble issues where I was like, you know, if you're going to be successful against Nebraska, you have to exploit the mistakes that they made. And in that same vein, Nebraska's got to play mistake-free football because Buffalo is a team that will pounce on that and exploit that as well, too. You know, I'm curious to see how Nebraska is going to handle UB's depth 
at running back. You know, Kevin Marks is very experienced. They don't have a lot of experience behind Kevin Marks at the running back, but they have guys who've been in the program two, three years, just don't have a lot of rush. I want to see how Nebraska's pass rush fares against UB and how UB is able to handle that as well. You know, they have a receiver from Eastern Michigan named Keon Williams, very familiar with Mac uh, defenses after playing for a couple of years at Eastern Michigan. How's the team going to fare and how is this offense going to fare against Nebraska? That's, that's a big question. If they were against a Big Ten program, you know, I, two years ago when UB played Penn State, they were down, I think, by a touchdown at halftime, and it was like, wow, there's something going here, but then Penn State just took over, and I think that's kind of the thing, and it's not so much don't get blown out, it's like, let's see how long we can hang with this team, and you know, really build some more confidence off that as well, too. I was also surprised to see, I think I was looking at FanDuel.com, that Nebraska's only a 13.5 point favorite as well, too, so there's something that might have built a little bit more confidence as well, but I think this game is going to kind of be measuring stick, a true measuring stick, much better than Wagner, of where UB is and where they need to improve going into Coastal Carolina next week and then going into their max schedule at the beginning of October. As we wrap it up here with Rachel, um, do you have a prediction? Do you have a kind of an outcome on how do you see this one playing out on Saturday? I, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick Nebraska. I think it's probably going to be you know, about a two touchdown margin or a touchdown in a field. I think, I, I think, I'd say two touchdown margin. I think it's a little early to call a score yet, but I'm leaning toward Nebraska right now. I know that program's kind of in a bit of an identity crisis. They're trying to find their footing after that loss to Illinois, and it's it's still the non-conference schedule. But and same, you know, I, I think Buffalo is going to make it competitive for a good part of that game as well. well. We really appreciate the time, Rachel, and uh, hopefully you have a great trip, and uh, we'll get a chance to see you here in the press box on Saturday. All right, I'll see you out there, Sean. Thanks a lot. All right, well, that wraps it up here. Make sure you follow Rachel Lindsay on Twitter. Also, her work on Buffalo News as she is the authoritative expert that covers Buffalo Bulls football. And make sure you're logged on to HuskerOnline.com as we'll have complete coverage of the game this weekend from Lincoln. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.